jump into the, the feast uh, of the Old Testament today. All right. This is a PowerPoint directly from Rose Publishing, actually. So I've added a couple of slides, but the bulk of it is actually from them. So uh, I was, was going to say you could buy it, but actually you don't need to because I gave you all the PowerPoint. So you don't need to buy it. Um, and I'm also going to give you today, um, this is also from Rose, but this is a condensed version of the Feast of the Bible. And so uh, I'll pass these pamphlets out to you as well. You can all have one of them. Two, four, five. I think I have enough. Six, seven, eight, maybe not. I think I do, but anyways. So just grab them right here. The feasts of the Old Testament, though, are, are pretty important. Most uh, Christians don't know much about them. Most churches don't do anything with them. And really, probably my first exposure to them was when I was in Springfield, Missouri, uh, I had a little bookstore. I ran out of my house, and uh, some woman from, I think, probably like the Church of God asked about, or she ordered some book for, from me, and then she was trying to tell me about all these feasts. And, uh, of course, they didn't teach me anything about this in, in Bible school, really, as far as, I mean, we might have mentioned them, but we didn't teach about how they were related or to connected to the life of Christ or anything else. So, um I, I firmly believe they are. I actually think that half of them have been fulfilled in his first coming. The rest will be fulfilled in the second coming. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to hit them. Okay. So uh, I do think they're, they're very, very important for our understanding of, uh, of the Bible and understanding of Scripture. It looks a little bit smaller for some reason on the screen. I'm not sure um, why. But So in general, Leviticus 23 all right, so actually I taught a Leviticus course here two years ago, um, so one-week, 40-hour class, eight hours a day, book of Leviticus. Um, originally, I thought I might die, and actually, I almost did, but um, actually, that's just because of the, the workload to, to prep and stuff, you know, for one week. I was doing it every night till like, 3 in the morning, but a uh, phenomenal book. Uh, I learned so much. The book is, is so much about worship, uh, and really, every... Every Christian needs to study about <coughs> God's worship. So Leviticus 23, God appointed seven holidays for the Israelites at times to meet with him. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, feast of weeks, feast of trumpets, day of atonement, and feast of booths. There's a couple holidays that were added later, like Purim from the book of Esther. That was not one of the ones that were the appointed feast declared by God that you needed to um, you know, meet with him. The purpose was to remind the people of what God did. Miracles, victory, provision, to rest, the Sabbath rest, that's important, okay? Um, another thing that we really don't study much in, in most of our churches. Uh, to give thanks through offerings, to repent and offer sacrifices, and to read the scriptures. These are all things that took place um, during these times. Uh, the megala, or, or the scrolls, are, are read. There's five of them that are read at certain different feasts. Three of the seven appointed holidays were pilgrimage feasts, when all the Jewish males were required to go to Jerusalem to appear before the Lord. So unleavened bread, feast of weeks, and the feast of booths. I'll have a chart in here in a little bit that will put all of them on the same page so that you can get a visual. In Exodus 12, God established the order of the months, and this was the first Jewish calendar used to determine the holiday. And this was Exodus 12. That should to click with you. That's Passover time, right? The Exodus from Egypt. And so the Passover was going to be the beginning of all things new for them, including uh, the new month or the new year. And so the Gregorian calendar used by most of us today is a solar calendar, all right? The Jewish calendar uses lunar and solar movements. The months are determined by the moon, the year by the sun. So a Jewish person today, for instance, has to have two or three different calendars running. 
If they're a business person, they got to have business IRS calendars. Um, if they live in America, um, and that was an assumption on the first one too, obviously IRS. It, um, then they have um, an American calendar, you know, of how the American society runs stuff. But then they also have uh, their Jewish calendar, which is still running, and they're in the year 5,700, and I forget because um, I didn't look it up before. So we're in 2017, but they're in 57-something or other, all right? By Jesus' time, there was a second calendar for civil affairs, and the civil calendar is still in use today. The Jewish calendar has 12 months, each with 29 or 30 days. Every third year is a leap year that has an extra month or extra 30 days. That's because most of their months are 30 days only, so you end up with, if you compare it to ours, they're off by um, five or seven days per year. You add that up over three years, well, they just throw an extra month in every three years. So we have a, a leap a year where we get, what, one day? They have they get a whole month. So this is the, the calendar in a nutshell for them. And so Nissan, all right, that's not the truck or the car, okay, but Nissan is month number one. That corresponds to March or April. So that's why we just had, you know, Christians celebrate Easter, the resurrection, and the Jews celebrate Passover. They often coincide. Sometimes they're right together. Sometimes they're a month apart. But it's in the same time. It's the springtime. It's March or April, all right? And then... That is month one, and the rest will run around here. And so we'll see this as we go through these. Like I said, we are going to blitz it because I have another whole um, thing that I want to do this morning as well. So Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and weeks. These are your four spring feasts. And these are the four that I would argue have been fulfilled in Christ and his first coming. Then you have the other three fall feasts. So it's spring and fall, all right? And that's trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacle, okay? Hanukkah is, a, is an extra one, and, and so is Purim, okay? So four and three, seven required by God, four spring, three fall. <coughs> and here they are again for you. So this is kind of, uh, for most of us, probably the visual that will help us most. And so I think I added this, and this is not from Rose, um, I think I put this in at the end of each one of them to put our minds back on track as to where we are. So spring, fall, four, three, um, fulfilled, nothing. Right, so that's kind of the, the general scope. And so if you want one, one page of what I want you to know or grasp off it, it's this chart right here, which is why I'm going to keep showing it several times. It was added after. Okay. Yep. Just to celebrate what God did through uh, the people at Esther. So as I already mentioned, the first one is Passover. Okay, it's Pesach. That's the Hebrew word. The 14th of Nisan is when it's celebrated. So in reality, on the 10th of Nisan, all right, they would take their lamb, select their lamb, and then it would run around their house for four days. And so during this time, the kids are all getting used to it. It's got a new little, you know, cuddly, woolly, soft, furry pet. And after four days... They're probably in love with the little thing. Yeah, and then, you know, off, off to the side, so to speak. And so you're, you're thinking it's a little cruel, but they're teaching the kids at a very early age about sacrifice, the cost, and, and all of this. So the scriptures are there, and you can see the, the Pesach, the Hebrew lettering of it at the bottom. This commemorates God's deliverance out of Israel. This is probably the most well-known of the Jewish feasts for a, for a Christian, um, Probably. 
So it means to pass over, and it's very simple. The death angel passed over their house if there, if there was blood on it. And so today it's commemorated with a, a meal. They would sacrifice, you know, back in the Old Testament time. The Lord called Moses to lead Israel from slavery out of there. And he went in. You have the, the ten plagues because Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. So there's the nine and then the death of the, the firstborn. All of that is incorporated in, in something called, um, you see it as a Seder meal, a Passover um, festival. I don't know if you've ever been to one. There's a little bit of controversy about whether or not Christians should, ce should celebrate it, but I think we should. Um, I think it helps us understand uh, the Jewish roots of, of Christianity. And so um, in one of those um, events, they will talk about all ten of those uh, plagues as well. And so the tenth plague brought death to the firstborn sons of Egypt, even taking the life of Pharaoh's own, and then eventually the Egypt Egyptians let them go. This would be a lasting ordinance. It was observed on the 14th of the first month. So Nisan 10, you select the lamb. Nisan 14, you kill the lamb. All right? Had to be perfect male, no blemish. All 24 were cut. Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem yearly to celebrate the Passover. At age 12, he was with them. Near the end of his ministry, Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples, saying that he had eagerly desired to eat this Passover with them before he suffered. At this Passover meal, Jesus broke bread and took the cup of wine, saying they were his body and his blood. And he said he would not eat the meal again until the kingdom of God comes. That became known now as the Lord's Supper, communion, di different people call it slightly different things. But that's what it is. It was transformed uh, when Jesus celebrated that last supper right before his, his death. After the meal, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. Olives. Uh, the hymn sung during Passover is called the Hallel. And those are the Psalms 113 to 118, the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms that, um, that praise God. There's, they would, um, and, their, and their pilgrimage, there's these Psalms of Ascent that they would sing as they're going up to Jerusalem, and they sing these Psalms here related to uh, the Passover. Psalm 118.22 is part of it. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, which we know as Christians is then applied to Jesus himself in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 7. Jesus is also crucified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in John 1.29. You know, when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist is there, he says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, my goodness, if, if you don't have an Old Testament understanding about uh, lambs and um, taking away sins and sacrifice, this is where Leviticus comes in. Literally, without Leviticus, I mean, if you took every reference to Leviticus and all the allusions to Leviticus out of the Bible, you wouldn't end up with much of the Bible. Um, so the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of his sacrifice as the perfect Passover lamb. <coughs> Fulfillment of the New Covenant as well. So you also got other passages of Scripture in the New Covenant from Jeremiah 31, etc., that, that comes in uh, to play with this as well. And the Seder meal that we just mentioned. Um, the bread of the Lord's Supper is called the Afikomen, which means I came in Greek. It's unleavened bread that is broken, hidden, found, uh, bought for a price, and eaten uh, to the end of the meal. Passover is the, the longest continuously celebrated um, holiday in the world. It is still celebrated today by Jews. Obviously, they don't sacrifice a lamb. Um, what they do still do is have an empty seat waiting for um, Elijah to show up. 
and they will have a kid go open the door and check and see if Elijah has shown up. Um, they leave an empty seat at the table as a reminder for that. They also, as part of the process, uh, this is kind of where spring cleaning comes from. They go through their house looking for any yeast. You can have no yeast because it symbolizes what? Okay, sin. So the house must be swept clean. So that's why we do spring cleaning now. Um, you actually, you can Google this. If you don't believe me, you can go on the website. There is a place for the Jews to sell all of their yeast and buy it back after Passover. So, because it's got to be gone. So you can sell it and you can get it. It's almost like a pawn shop for yeast um, and other things related to it. So that's Passover. Super critically important. Um, the Exodus is the, the penultimate event of the Old Testament. Um, for Christians, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the cross, is the event, you know. For the Old Testament, it is the Exodus. Uh, and if you looked at all the references that allude to it or um, pull from it, you would, you would see that also. So that's the first one, okay? Passover. We see that as being fulfilled at the death of Jesus, and the spiritual application still applies. If the blood of Jesus is not applied to your life, then just like when the blood was not applied to the house, you'll die. Same thing. <coughs> Unleavened bread. Okay? This is observed 15th to 21st of Nisan. What day was Passover? 14. 14th. So this follows right on the heels of it. So you got a one day plus a seven day, so you got an eight-day feast time that all runs together. Okay? This is number two. So Leviticus 23 and Exodus 12 are your scripture references for it. Leviticus 23, verse 6, it says, The Feast of Unleavened Bread is mentioned as a separate feast on the 15th day of the same month as Passover. Today, Passover, uh, Pesach, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits have all been incorporated into the celebration of Passover. So they kind of run them together. So it becomes an eight-day Celebration. So if you're Googling this and you're like, well, what day is Passover? I don't understand. This day or this day? It's because they put them all together. So you got the one day plus the seven days, so it's all eight together. And, by the way, the feasts always start on the evening. That's confusing for us. So we start ours, our day in the morning. It's not how it works. They, their calendar starts in the evening, and so these start at sundown. Just like when the Sabbath starts, it doesn't start in the morning. It starts at sundown. Right, so your Sabbath, which is Saturday, always has been, always will be. So Saturday is Sabbath that starts at Friday at sundown, okay? And that's the Sabbath time period. So Passover, one of the three pilgrimage feasts. The Lord said that for seven of the eight days, the Israelites must eat unleavened bread. Unleavened, again, pictures no yeast, no sin. It's made in a hurry without yeast. You can watch videos online. They literally make it in like 50 seconds or something like that. The ovens are so hot. They make, it's just flour and water, super thin, holes in it, throw it in the oven, flip it over, take it out. I mean, they have rules, but the water hits the flour. It's got to be made in, in the oven before a certain amount of time where you can't use it. Like very. So this represents how the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt in haste. So there's this quick aspect. The matzah, that's what it's called, you buy it in the store, is also a symbol of Passover. Um, in scripture, leaven still represents sin. 1 Corinthians 5, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the Old Testament. It comes from this understanding here. So matzah stands for without sin. So if you're going to be uh, super strict on it and you go, a lot of times the matzahs will actually say on them that these are not suitable for Passover because uh, they're not pure enough. 
the, the ones I buy usually say that on the thing. Mark says a picture of Jesus, the only human without sin. Jesus said the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And in John 6.35, he said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Well, leaven is a symbol of sin. The Messiah Jesus is unleavened or sinless, and he conquers the grave with his resurrection because he's not a sinner under the curse of death. He was scourged and pierced at his crucifixion. Some people uh, align that to uh, the masses. I don't know how much, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep into, you know, symbolism type stuff, but uh, if you look at a masa, it has holes all over it, and it forms this striped pattern. So some people will, will go so far as to even say that that's related to the things that happened to Christ, etc. Um, so Colossians 2.17 says that these are shadows of things to come. They're foreshadowing. They're pointing forward to something else. Uh, Masa is the only type of bread eaten during the eight days of Passover. It's made with flour and water, striped and pierced during the baking, as we were just referring to. The utensils used must never touch the leaven. Um, bakery, bakery goods are made with masa meal. Masa meal is basically just the uh, the masa crackers, you know, ground down into flour. Uh, masa ball soup. It's basically like a it's like a chicken soup with masa balls in it. Um, I've made it multiple times. I put I put on seder meals when I worked at CSDA and stuff. I, we we do it for the whole uh, middle school and high school. We do a two hour thing with them. Um, Orthodox Jews believe that during the feast, even having leaven present in the home is forbidden, hence the, the cleaning that we talked about and the origin of our spring cleaning. Traditionally, the father searches for any leaven in the house. He sweetens away any remaining breadcrumbs into a wooden spoon and a goose feather. The crumbs, the spoon, and the feather are placed in a bag and burned the next morning. All right? So these are all the aspects of the unleavened bread. What's so, a goose feather for? Uh, they, they scrape the, the leaven into the bag. So, um, Passover, the death, unleavened bread, the burial. Okay, first fruits is going to be pointing towards the resurrection and then Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. So, first fruits. This is related to harvest in an agricultural setting, okay? Uh, Nisan 16, all right? So, you got 14, 15, 16. They're all going together. Does this overlap with? Uh huh. Yeah, that's why they, they do them all together. First fruits are offerings given for the spring barley harvest. The first ripe sheaf, this is called the first fruits, okay, um, of barley was offered to the Lord as an act of dedicating the harvest to him. First fruits also, it'll probably be in the slide in a minute, but it also has the idea of down payment. So when you buy a house, you put a down payment on it. That's a promise that you're going to pay off the rest of it, you know. So you put 10, 20 grand, and yeah, I'll, you know, I'll pay the rest a little bit every month, right? So this also, I know I'm jumping the gun on what it'll probably say here, but uh, so the Holy Spirit, for instance, is the down payment on what God promises us, you know, so he's going to make good on it. That's the down payment. Um, just like Jesus also is the first fruits of the resurrection. So he's the first, the rest are going to be his saints resurrected. So that's the same concept also. So on Passover, a marked sheaf of grain was bundled and left standing in the field. And the next day was the first day of unleavened bread. It was on this day that the sheep was cut and prepared for offering. And on the third day, they waved the sheep before the Lord. Okay? You see that phrase throughout the Old Testament a little bit, book of Leviticus, elsewhere. A wave offering, 
okay? They really are. They're waving. Um, then the counting of the days, the Omer, began, and it continued up till the 50th day, okay? Up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, okay? So a Sabbath is every seven days. So if you have seven sets of them, then you end up with 49 days, and the day after plus one is going to be 50 days, okay? 50th day is Pentecost. So we get to Acts chapter 2, and you read Pentecost. You're like, oh, what's this all about? Is something new? No, it's nothing new. Pentecost is thousands of years before Acts 2. Pentecost was way back in the Old Testament. So, <clears throat> Jesus, the Jewish people rarely celebrate first fruits today, but it has great significance for followers of Jesus as the day of resurrection, Easter. Okay? Or resurrection day. He rose on the third day of Passover, the day of First fruits. His resurrection gave new meaning to the agricultural holiday. His resurrection is the promise of the future resurrection of believers. So you can see how all of these are lining up and they're being fulfilled. And I don't think this stuff is an accident. Um, obviously, when I first heard about it, you know, this, this woman was trying to teach me a little bit about it. And I was just like, what are you talking about? I was very strict on the, you know, historical, grammatical interpretation of scripture. You know, what did it mean to them then? Don't add stuff into it, and I still believe in all that historical grammatical interpretation, and it was written to certain people then, and what did it mean to them? Um, but there's a bigger scope. Um, there's an unfolding revelation of God, and there's these foreshadowing events that are then fulfilled you know, later on in, in Christ. And so at the same time, I don't think you can make Scripture say anything you want. So I really don't like the phrase, like, what does this mean to you? Like, I don't like that phrase at all. Like, what does it mean? Just chop off the to you. What does it mean? And then, um, you know, how can you apply that? Or, you know, how does that apply in your life, in your situation? That's fine. But what does it mean? I mean, there's a meaning to the text. So, other biblical events that happened on this day. The manna, which God provided from heaven as food for the Israelites while in the wilderness, stops on this day after they enter the promised land. So you have another Old Testament connection here that they would be well aware of. You and I, we read the New Testament, we're not aware of this stuff. Okay? You're a faithful follower of, of his God. Yeah, well, in the Old Testament, right? You, you know about this. This is what they pass on to you, oral law. We'll talk about that in my next session this morning. Um, is transmitted from, you know, rabbis to fathers to sons, etc. So they talk about these things, you know, about what happened up on that mountain with Moses. Um, Queen Esther risked her life on this day to save the Jewish people from annihilation. Same day. Since the temple was destroyed in 70, the first fruits is no longer offered. Today they use it to begin the counting of the, the days, the Omer, which leads to that 50th day, which we're going to talk about in a second, Pentecost, right? On the 33rd day of counting, the Omer, a minor rabbinical holiday, is celebrated. But again, that one is not going to be one of the seven commanded by God. Which these ones that are commanded by God, it's, it's appointed feast unto the Lord. So they're, they're feasts to God. They're celebrations to God, appointed days to God. You know, so, so Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. All right. Again, this is the the chart. I keep putting it up here because this is the one I want you to really get. Um, if you know that chart right there, you'll know like probably not, I don't know seventy five plus percent of what I expect you to know about this topic. All right. So the feast of weeks is our next one. So this is the fourth of the spring feasts, all right? When did we go 
that we said? Yeah. Yeah, the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost. So one of the things when you start studying these or you read in the scripture is they don't always use the same name for everything. Mm -hmm. So Feast of Weeks, that's the same as Pentecost. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's observed and comes about May or June, okay, because it's going to be 50 days after that event that took place in Nisan, right? The scriptures are, again, Leviticus 23. So Leviticus 23 is what you want to, you know, mark down in the back of your head also for all of these feasts, right? As an offering of grain of the summer wheat harvest was presented to the Lord to show joy and thankfulness. It's known as the Feast of Harvest. It's known as the latter first fruits. So the end of that season, okay, um, commemorates the giving of the law. And it's one of the three pilgrimage feasts, all right? So all of these... You know, packed together. Celebrates 50 days after volume. Can you just mute it, Robert? Okay, so Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Passover, all right? Um, Pentecost means 50, penta in, in the beginning. Pentagram, Pentecost, five, right? So 50. Uh, it's often called uh, Matan's Torah, the giving of the law, because it's believed that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments at this time. So one of the things at this point you're probably beginning to see is that there are some other events unrelated to what we're specifically talking about in the background to these events, like the giving of the law. And so you have to imagine that as an Israelite, that these, these feasts are building in importance the more significant events you add to the background of them, all right? And obviously Moses is a, is a massive you know, figure in Israelite history. Related to Jesus, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem following his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And they were all together in the upper room for this celebration, Pentecost. They were, they were waiting there. You read the rest of the scriptures, and you'll see that Paul will sometimes mention he's going to be so, somewhere for Pentecost, or he wants to be there before Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, Acts 2. No. Oh, yeah, Old Testament. Okay, Pentecost, he's still, as a believer, he's celebrating this Old Testament Jewish celebration, which is another thing. You look at the, the New Testament, and you'll see that's what they were doing. They continued to celebrate. This is why, so I had a discussion slash argument with a guy the other day about Sabbath. And um, he, he couldn't, what often happens with Sabbath arguments is people can't distinguish certain things. Like, he had some of his facts right, okay? So he's talking about how, you know, the, the Romans, the Roman Catholic Church, and Sunday, and it was the worship of the sun god, and blah, 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 blah. So he doesn't like all that stuff. Fine. I agree. That, yep, that happened. But what you're missing here was the idea that that's not when Christians started to worship on Sunday. Christians worshiped on Sunday in the New Testament. So read the, the I think I said gospel, Sam. It should have been Acts. <laughs> but anyways, read the book of Acts. They gathered together on the first day. See, it didn't replace Sabbath. It was an additional. They still celebrated Sabbath as, as Jewish Christians, Jewish believers, all right? They Who now... Who wrong, really? What? Who does the wrong thing to do that? Well, no. Because which means it wouldn't be wrong for us to, right? Sorry? Which means it wouldn't be wrong for us to. 
Some could argue that uh, Paul actually admonished Peter for doing this, for observing Luke's story for years. Yes, that's a another whole argument we don't have time for, but what is clear is they absorbed it. Okay? So my point is that Sunday did not replace the Sabbath. The Sabbath day never changed. It's always been the seventh day, and the seventh day is Saturday. Um, Sunday is the first day of the week, and the reason they celebrated on the first day of the week is they were celebrating the resurrection. They weren't celebrating Sabbath. They were celebrating the resurrection. So, anyways, that's what that's about. So, the the 50th day of of uh, this this Passover or um, not Passover Pentecost. So it says the sound of the mighty wind filled the house and tongues of fire came to rest on the disciples and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter referred to what Joel said in two twenty eight to thirty two that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh and he said Peter said that the risen and exalted Jesus had poured out the Holy Spirit. So. We see the, the prophetic fulfillments of these things as they're tied into the agricultural feast and how this whole thing was obviously orchestrated by God. Yeah. So the people respond to Peter's message and more than 3,000 believe and are baptized. The new covenant between God and Israel was initiated on this feast of weeks, this, this celebration, Pentecost, 50 days after the death of Christ. It celebrated... Uh, Shabbat was celebrated 50 days after Passover, so it became known as Pentecost 50 in Greek. So that's Greek influence. The days from Passover to Shabbat are counted at weekly um, Sabbath services, and historically children received treats from memorizing scripture. Um, the book, book of Ruth is read. It's a popular day for Jewish confirmation, and special dairy desserts are prepared. Um, land of milk and honey related to, to that. So homes and synagogues are decorated with flowers and greenery representing the harvest in the Torah as a tree of life, and observant Jews often spend the night reading and studying um, Torah. Okay? So that is... Thank you, Professor. Okay. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. So that is the... Do we owe you? No. <laughs> That's the Feast of Weeks. Okay? So, again, we go back to... to um, keep put in front of you because it's a very good visual summary that connects them. So we've covered the four spring holidays, okay? So you can see right here the 50 days, all right? So this is uh, Nisan 14, 15, 16, 50 days Pentecost, right? So you can't say like um, it's always on um, a certain a Sunday or, or whatever. It's not. It's on, it's on a day just like Christmas is. December 25th is what we celebrate, and who knows what day that's going to be on, right? Changes all the time. I have a question. Yeah. The, the, the uh, crucifixion of Christ. Uh-huh. And you said 14th of Nisan and 10th of Nisan. There are people who say that Jesus was not crucified on Christ, but there's not three days. It's yep. the same argument about they consider part of the day holy day. Is that? That's part of, yes. So that, that's a deep argument. And one of the responses to that is any part of a day is a day. And so, and that goes to also with the fact that their day begins at night or dusk and goes to the next. So, yeah. So there's many, there's several aspects. Um, that's a, that's a messy argument. So <laughs> this is basically the same thing, but uh, so Passover fulfilled death on the cross. He's our Passover lamb. Unleavened bread. Jesus died in the tomb, buried, 
Um, and first fruits were resurrected on the third day, the first fruits of the dead, Pentecost beginning of the Spirit, um, as they are in the upper room. All right, so Feast of Trumpets. So now we're into, those are spring, four spring. So now we've got three fall feasts, okay? So Rosh Hashanah, okay? You've probably heard about it. These are on, you know, uh, just a regular calendar you would buy. And these are usually on it. Um, the first of Tishri, that's September or October. So about, you know, six months later or so, Nisan 1, and then Tishri 1. Leviticus 23 again. That's our go-to chapter. And marks the beginning of the civil new year. So in a sense, there's two new years. You've got the one we're looking at, and then you've also got Passover with the beginning of the new year also. So that's the civil one. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning. It means the head. Rosh has to do with the head. In biblical times, it was a day of rest and offerings, and it commemorated with trumpet blasts. That's how you knew to start it. That's why it's called the Feast of Trumpets. They blew a trumpet. Rosh Hashanah, the ten days of repentance that follow it, and the Yom Kippur make up the high holy days. So this is um, an extremely important time for Israelites and uh, for probably Orthodox Jews today as well. Jewish tradition says that God writes every person's words, deeds, and thoughts in the Book of Life, which he opens on Rosh Hashanah. All right? If good deeds outnumber sinful, the person's name is inscribed in the Book of Life for another year. Now, you can see that's completely based on what? Right. Yes. All right? So, obviously, as, as believers, you know, we don't hold to that. But this is part of the modern connection with it. During Rosh Hashanah, in the ten days of repentance, people can repent of their sins and do good deeds to increase their chance of being inscribed in the Book of Life. Um, I was going to pick up yeah. a disconnection there between um, that and the Muslim idea of the whole book. There's a book in Islam that talks about similar works. Did uh, Muhammad get this from the Jews? Well, uh, Muhammad and Muhammadism in Islam all, all comes after the fact of Judaism and Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, their foundations are based on the same. So there's definitely so quite possible. Oh, well, sure. I mean, there's definitely a connection all through it. I mean, the three monotheistic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they're all based in Judaism. So, I mean, Christianity is built on top of Judaism, and Islam is built on top of Christianity and Judaism. So, so the Feast of Trumpets continue. What about Jesus, Yeshua? Rosh Hashanah is sometimes referred to as the Day of Judgment. Jesus said he had authority to judge people, and Paul called Jesus the judge of the living and the dead. God does have a book of life, the Lamb's book of life. We do have that mentioned in Scripture. The only way to have one's name inscribed in it, though, is through faith in Jesus. It would save you from sin, and it's, it's a permanent thing. Some believe that the four spring holidays, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Week, were fulfilled in Messiah's first coming. And the three autumns, Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Booths can be fulfilled at his second coming. Uh, prior to Rosh Hashanah, the shofar, the ram's horn, is blown to call people to repent and remind them that the holy days are arriving. You blow a trumpet for a few things, special occasions. Um, it's always about calling people together, though, to get attention. Um, war, so it, it's, a, it's a battle call also. <clears throat> shofar is blown a hundred times during Rosh Hashanah synagogue service. A very serious new year. It's not a happy one like year January 1st for Americans. 
A common custom is sending cards to relatives and friends to wish them a happy, healthy, uh, prosperous New Year. And the message includes the greeting, may you be inscribed in the Book of Life for a good year. I don't think it's any different really than what we have today. I think that um, the Old Testament is completely salvation by faith. There's no works-based salvation in the Old Testament. Um, it is a covenant, and they are supposed to abide by the stipulations and regulations of the covenant. Um, but doing so demonstrates their faithfulness and their obedience and their love to God. To do otherwise is to demonstrate that you're not faithful to what you promised. That's no different than us as Christians which is where the whole lordship and non-lordship salvation thing comes into play in the theology of Christianity. The, the basic premise behind lordship salvation is the idea that when you get saved, you have a covenant relationship with the king of the universe, and now there's expectations on your life and how you act. That's really the same thing as God's expectation, in my opinion. It's the same expectation as God's um, expectations on his people in the Old Testament under their covenant. And so you're right. All through the prophets, what you see, you see that what God chastises them for is um, idolatry, mm -hmm. which is both physical and spiritual, but then you've got all these other things, like you're, you're not doing works of justice. You're not taking care of people. You're oppressing them. These are works. These are works that, just as James says, faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. So your, your life is demonstrated by how you, how you live it out. So uh, people are always trying to separate these two ideas. It's um, either or. It's just, both ends. It's both ends, just right. like okay. election and, and free will. Yeah. You know, it's both ends. Yeah. So, um, what, what would you do to Paul's argument when he calls doing the right work by faith but not by works of righteousness? Like, it sounds like he's uh, separate. Right, and we don't really have time. But the the thing again is, um, somebody mentioned the idea of, of putting our, our ideas into the text. All of these, each, each issue that we just brought up, um, we generally do that right off the bat. Even the thing with Paul. Um, in the 21st century, we're trying to figure out what's in Paul's mind based on words on a page and what those words mean. And all those words are definitely heavily connected to um, a theology of the Old Testament. So, like the New Testament, or the, yeah, uh, the new perspective on Paul uh, that you mentioned. Um, again, I mean, we're, we're, we're arguing over theology and words and what they meant and whether the Jews believed in works-based righteousness. Um, whether or not individual Jews... We responded to what you just said, that on Rosh Hashanah, yeah. they said what works, whatever. So we're responding to that. Well, that's what it became. So that was... Th today. So or but Was modern. that what they were thinking? That they were, they would work originally. That has been based... The whole discussion of works-based theology has been dated since the Second. It has gone back and forth. It's not even It's just today probably... A biblical theology, though, um, like to cut through what do Christians think, what do Jews think, and obviously I'm going to be biased probably because I'm a 
Christian. But anyways, to cut through all that, and everything depends on how you read the scriptures, but to cut through it all, um, I would argue dogmatically that there's only one type of salvation that always has been, and it's, it's through faith, from, from Genesis to Revelation. And so uh, when the Jews, for sure, the idea of works-based righteousness occurred within Judaism, just like it does in Christianity. So when that occurred, though, um, and so maybe Paul is arguing against that because it was occurring, or maybe he's not. But either way, my point is that was never what God was preaching. God was always preaching by faith. You know, Abraham was justified by faith. Well, how did he show it? And Abraham, well, my original well, question, he showed it by his works. Yeah, my in 22. My question, though, is what was it when that was established in Scripture in the Old Testament? What did God say was happening? Oh, this this uh, idea of getting your name in the book well, and works right, was, not, was not in there. So originally, what was it? It was... Um, well, I'm on six different tracks now, so. Um, <laughs> I just want because it's obviously different than what we. That was in. What was that still in Feast of Trumpets? Yeah, that's yeah, confused yeah, that's what we're talking about. Then that's how it came up. So, the it take that part out and it's everything else. <laughs> okay, so just that one part. All right, yeah, just just take that part so out. So this is the only thing that introduces this works thing. But but professor, but professor, the whole bolt and thing is. They had to, they had to kill the lamb. Mm -hmm. That's by faith with what he said. But the lamb had to be physically killed. So I don't think you can divorce what you do and the cart before and, the horse. And, it's the cart before the horse argument. Right. I mean, that, that's you can't divorce them. That's the point. That's the point of James. That's the point of uh, the prophets. Like, you cannot divorce them. I don't care about your, your stinking sacrifices because they do stink to me now because your, your life is the exact opposite. So all your church going don't matter if your life is the opposite. You know? Um, saying that you're a Christian to everybody and, and living like hell, well, like, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. And that's part of what we will always wrestle with. They did. We did. We, we always will. You know, when I got saved and I told my my family, I came out of a Catholic family. Oh, so now you can do that. You can go kill somebody and go to heaven. Like, how do you answer that? Because it's a setup. The answer is theologically yes, and also theologically no. Like, that's not what a follower of Christ does. Um, but on a soteriological level, well, yeah, because my sin's been covered. So you know, and, but they can't grasp that. Man, this is so confused. So, okay, but we got to go. Um, it's traditional to eat apple slices dipped in honey, and the apples represent provision, and honey re represents sweetness for the coming year. Um, and that is the Feast of Trumpets. So they blow a trumpet that ushers it in that's going to start this, which is also just like the spring feasts, okay, these get packed together too. So the next one, for instance, Okay, it's going to be the Day of Atonement, and it's going to fall right on the heels of it. So on Tishri 1 is the, the trumpet call, and on, then there's 10 days of, it's also called 10 days of awe. So it's a time of uh, serious repentance, and then on, after the 10th day, that's the Day of Atonement, which that's a, a day that you probably should already be familiar with. So Yom Kippur, the 10th of Tishri. Uh, September or October, depending on the year, Leviticus 23 is still the same chapter. This is the day the high priest makes atonement for sins. 
So this has been preceded by that trumpet call and 10 days of repentance. All right? Um, the most solemn day, Yom is day, so Kippur means atonement or covering. Don't ask me about that word, okay? That's a whole other conversation that'll take five hours um, about whether it means atonement or covering or cleansing or wiping or whether the altar was atoned for or your sins are atoned for. Like, huge, huge, huge argument. Um, atonement is about the reconciliation of God and man. That is true, and that's what we'll go with. So the ten days before... <laughs> um, the ten days before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the ten days or the days of repentance or days of awe. Um, also, Yom Kippur is the final day of judgment when God judges the people. In biblical times, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies on that one time, and it was a time of prayer and fasting. <coughs> he offered the blood sacrifice of atonement on behalf of the people. It was an animal sacrifice to pay for the sins. So you can discuss, you know, substitution atonement, and you know that's a whole argument now too. So when the high priest was finished, a goat was released in the wilderness. This is the scapegoat. This is another whole debate about the two goats and the one that is sent off. Is it sent off to a desert demon? Is it sent off, you know, tearing the sins away? So, you know, take, take my Leviticus class, okay? So the Holy of Holies in the temple was separated from the congregation by the thick veil. When Jesus died, what happens? It's ripped in half, uh, demonstrating that we have access. Didn't they go from the pillar to the floor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did that say something yeah, different? It says from floor to ceiling. Where? Oh, no, on the, on the slide it says yeah. from here to top down. So, Christ came as the high priest and entered the Holy of Holies, Hebrews, you know, one time for all. And so we accept that as uh, atonement for our sin, as also, you know, sacrificial, um, substitution. All of these, I think, play into it, you know? Every one of these. Um, the whole argument over substitution. Well, I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, you should be the one on the cross, right? So, and if he was on the cross, well, well I mean, there's a substitution going on, right? Because you should be there. After the temple was destroyed in 70, of course, you could no longer offer the sacrifices. So today, repentance, prayers, and good works are seen as a means for obtaining atonement for sins, okay? Good works is in everything, guys. It's in every religion. It's in everything except biblical Christianity. It's in Christianity. But biblical Christianity, you got to get it out. So everything is either do or done. There's only two types of religion in the whole world. Everything is do, except for biblical Christianity, already been done. <coughs> doesn't mean we don't do anything. It just means it's a way in. Yom Kippur is a day of fasting. No work is done, which means it's like a super Sabbath. Um, many Jewish people spend the day at synagogue praying for forgiveness of their sins. The book of Jonah is read during the afternoon service to remind people of God's forgiveness and mercy. And immediately after the evening service, participants have a, um, a break fast, breakfast meal, break the fast, breakfast meal. All right. So trumpets, day of atonement. All right. Uh, there's one more in Leviticus, and then there's um, a couple that are in addition. So Feast of Booths, okay, also called Tabernacles, Sukkoth, um, 15th to the 21st of Tishri. All right. So you got Tishri 1, Tishri 10, and then Tishri 15 to 21. So you can understand that if there's two months that are super important to Jews, what are they? Nisan and Tishri, right? <clears throat> Which is why they make these long pilgrimages. And they don't just stay for a day. They stay for a week or more. <coughs> All right. So booths. Because they actually make booths. Commemorates the 40-year wilderness journey to remember God's faithfulness and protection. It's a week-long celebration of the fall harvest, and it's one of the three pilgrimage feasts. 
During the Israelites' 40-year wilderness journey, they dwelt in temporary shelters or booths, and on this holiday, um, they would reenact that. They would build a booth. So um, this is one I haven't quite um, pulled off yet, but uh, this past, let's see, no, it was last year, I guess. So in the fall, I did a, a five- or six-week series on this at our church, um, and, but we didn't actually build the booth. Um, sometime in the future, one day, I guess. The Israelites were to build and dwell in them for the seven days to remember. That's the day they've been in the wilderness. Right. The four special plants used to cover the booths are myrtle, citron, palm, and, and willow. And so they would use them. And the two ceremonies were part of the last day. A priest would carry water from the pool of Siloam to the temple, symbolizing that when Messiah comes, the whole earth will know God as the waters cover the sea, 11.9. It's also Habakkuk 2.14. says the same thing, pretty much. And people carrying torches marched around the temple. And they sent the light, set the light around the walls of the temple, symbolizing how Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. There are some aspects of this, depending on how you read it and interpret it. Um, John's Gospel, this stuff is, is very symbolic. Jesus comes in, I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread, of the, I'm the bread, I'm all of these statements. Depending on, on how you read it and the chronology and what feast was actually being celebrated, it's quite possible this is what was going on when Jesus comes in and says, yeah, but this is really all pointing to me. Like, I am really... You know, the light of the world, etc. And uh, the living water of Jordan. So when Jesus attended the feast on the last day, he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. Of course, he also talked to the woman at the well about that type of thing. The next morning, while the torches were still burning, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you can see when you read these, if this is what's going on, that what Jesus says makes a whole lot more sense. And he's not only connecting to the, the feast that they were celebrating, but he's connecting to the entire Israelite history. And these feasts were commanded by God in Leviticus 23, thousands of years previously. And he is arguing for the fulfillment. Zechariah 14.6 talks about during that time all believers will celebrate this feast um, in the, the, the future kingdom. So... <clears throat> Sukkoth is a joyous feast when people rejoice in God's forgiveness and material blessings, and Jews continue to celebrate it by building temporary booths uh, for eight days. I've never seen one, but um, they must build them somewhere, maybe their backyard. I've seen them in New York. Well, that would be a good place to see them. Although New York doesn't have a lot of space, but there are a lot of, of Jews there. So the booth is a temporary structure of wood and canvas, and it's decorated with flowers and leaves and fruits and vegetables, etc., one meal a day is eaten in it. Man, it's kind of like going camping, you know? <laughs> I, I like to camp. So they wave around the lulav, okay, in four directions, north, south, east, west, to symbolize that God's presence is everywhere, and it's made of palm, willow, and myrtle. So at this time of the year, you could go online, and you'll be able to find on many Jewish websites, um, you can buy these things so that you can make your, your thing to wave around. All right, so... Jesus is going to come back with the sound of a trumpet, right? He's going to come in judgment, right? And then the, we'll enjoy all the, the trophies. So he's coming back now like from this president? Is that what you're telling me? Huh. So the return, the judgment, and then depending on your eschatology, the millennial kingdom, etc., or some other aspect of the future kingdom, the tabernacle, right? Now, quickly, I'm going to hit a couple more that are not in Leviticus 23 commanded, um, but are... Um, 
are part of it. Not that this one is. The rejoicing in the law. I think there's two after this, but I'm not. God appointed the final day of the Feast of Booths to be a sacred assembly. Uh, today, the final day is known as uh, Simchat Torah, or probably Simchat Torah, meaning rejoice in the Torah, God's word, and it commemorates the completion of the reading of the Torah. <coughs> you should know what the Torah is, hopefully, Genesis to Deuteronomy, first five. Um, law or direction? I, I don't like law. It, it's education. It's teaching. Um, part of the problem with uh, the whole thing with Paul and whatnot is, well, it probably is an evolutionary aspect to the use of the word, but also um, we, we think all the time about Torah is law. Torah is not law. To Torah is the, the teaching and education um, of God. I think law, especially in our minds, um, Right. Yeah, I don't hold to the distinction of the three either. I hold to just one. Followers of Jesus accept the Torah and the other books of the Jewish scriptures. So before entering the Promised Land, they were instructed to read the Torah during the Feast of Booths. So while you're sitting out there in your, your tent, your booth, you read it. Starting in the Middle Ages, it was a celebration of the giving and receiving of Torah. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt as tabernacles. If you didn't know that, I think I've ta talked about that before with the temple idea from Genesis to Revelation. Um, Jesus came and templed or tabernacled. He is the Word that became flesh and, and he dwelt, he tabernacled here with us. Uh, tented, set up a tent. Uh, the Word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, made flesh. 8.12 of the Gospel of John. So we rejoice in the Torah. Jesus said that he came to fulfill both the law and the prophets. The Torah is the written word. Jesus is the living word. In Israel, it's usually celebrated on the 22nd, the final day of the Feast of Booths. In other places, the 23rd. Sometimes there's a little discrepancy with, uh, with the dates of these also. Um, not so much on the Jewish one, but for the American calendar. In the synagogue, the Torah is divided into portions and read each week. And during this time, the people in the congregation receive a chance to read the Torah from the pulpit, which they don't generally get to do. The reading concludes with the last chapter of Deuteronomy, which that's got uh, right before Moses leaves, uh, etc., and begins with Genesis 1 for the next year. So they celebrate by marching around the sanctuary, carrying the Torah scrolls, singing and praising God. All right. Okay, Hanukkah. Notice Leviticus 23 is not up there, all right? Because it doesn't come out of Leviticus. It doesn't come out of the Old Testament. It's not a command from God, all right? So Hanukkah, it is uh, 25th of Kislev around December-ish time. So it might hit near Christmas, but um, it's not quite the same. Celebrates the Maccabean victory and the rededication of the temple. So we talked about the Maccabees the last class period, all right? They celebrate that. Every year. That's what Hanukkah is. Um, the dedication or the Feast of Lights. The Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes had defiled the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar and pouring the blood on the scripture scrolls. The Maccabees defeated the empire, the Seleucids, in uh, Jerusalem, and they restored the temple. And the victory is recorded in the Maccabees. Um, the book of Maccabees was written in the time between the Hebrew and the New Testament, the Intertestament time. We talked about that last week. Legend says that after cleansing the temple, here's where it comes from, the supply of oil to relight the, the eternal flame of the temple, there was only enough for one day. But it kept burning for eight days. 
And so this is where it comes from. And this miracle is what is celebrated on the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights. They're celebrating how God has kept that lit, and it symbolized his presence. Okay? So this is what it's about. It's celebrated in Jesus' day. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. All right? So still going on there. Remember, it's a reminder of those who courageously remain faithful to God in the face of persecution. It's a major theme in the New Testament about being faithful to God. So there's a connection in our sense with that. Revelation speaks specifically to the persecuted believers who are gonna, that uh, they'll face the persecution before the return of Christ. It's a reminder that God is faithful and delivers his people from oppression, including the oppression of sin and death. Hanukkah is primarily a family celebration centered around the lighting of a nine-candle menorah. Okay, there's different uh, types of menorahs, seven, nine. Eight candles represent the miraculous burning um, for eight days, and the ninth is used to light the others. So you get the one in the center, and then eight because of the eight days that the lights stay lit. Each night another candle is lit with the center candle, um, or servant's candle, as it's called, until all nine are lit. Holiday foods are um, these lakshis, these uh, potato pancakes and donuts fried in oil. You go to Publix during these times, and you'll, you'll see them. Or right after, they'll be on clearance probably. Yeah. Um, the oil is a reminder of the miracle of the oil. Perhaps because Hanukkah falls so close to Christmas, it is not traditional to give presents, often one per night after the candles are lit. Child's games like these here, dreidels, um, are used. All right, Purim. I think this one is uh, the last one. Purim is related to the book of Esther. Okay? So, Adar, uh, it's a month. It commemorates the preservation of the Jewish people, the deliverance of the Jews through um, Queen Esther from Persia. Um, her name means star. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, meaning myrtle. The annual celebration of Purim is a joyous feast, remembering the foiled plot of Haman to kill the Jews living within Xerxes' kingdom. Um, Esther's uncle Mordecai uncovered the plot. So Esther's a short little book. Um, there's there's several movies. They've made movies for years on it. I think the latest one was One Night with the King. It's, it's pretty well done. The king had Haman executed. Purim means lots, so it's called Feast of Lots or Feast of Purim. Okay. Um, why? Because Haman cast lots to figure out which day to try to kill all the Jews. Adar 14 and 15 became days of joy and feasting, and it's celebrated on the 14th in most cities except those cities surrounded by walls since the time of Joshua. Walled cities celebrated on the 15th. The Jews of Esther's day were delivered from the irrevocable decree of the Persian king, um, I can never say this. You know you have words you can never say? This is the one I can never say. So it's Zer by Xerxes, but um, Ahasuerus, Suerus, or something like that, Ahasuerus, depending on where you emphasize it. Xerxes is coming from here. God also had an irrevocable decree that all the people are sinners and deserve death. The Messiah, Jesus, delivers all who, who believe from that irrevocable death, Romans 6.23. Um, many have and may continue to persecute believers in Messiah, but Isaiah's prophecy suggests that they will not prevail because God is with us, or literally, Emmanuel, Isaiah 8.10. And it's happy and noisy. Um, they read, I mentioned the, the Megillah or the scrolls earlier. Esther is read in the synagogue, and whenever Mordecai is mentioned, everybody cheers. 
Whenever Heyman is mentioned, everyone boos, stamps their feet, shakes their noisemakers, which are called groggers. <laughs> and there's different treats. And the Three Corner Cookies, which is Heyman's hat. Other customs include parades. So this, this is a fun this is a fun celebration. Um, let me make two quick comments. Um, um, these feasts were meant also to educate, to teach their children. So Passover celebration lasts all night long. Okay, um, Could be into 2, 3 in the morning. They read through the whole Exodus story. There's a Q&A time with their kids. They're teaching their kids the story. There's a couple little game things that help interact with the, the kids, etc. Um, they want them to, to learn. It's educational. It's pedagogical. Um, also, it was not up there, I don't believe, but with Passover, there's two Passovers. If you were not able to celebrate the first Passover because you were out of town or you're unclean or whatever, uh, one month later, it's called a small Passover, little Passover, second Passover, whichever, um, there was a, an option for you to be able to celebrate that because God, God wanted his people to be able to, to celebrate that. So those are the feasts of the Old Testament.